You've all heard the saying, there is no I in team. Well, that's partly correct. But we each bring a unique perspective and experience when working as a team. So it can be viewed as a collective group of eyes that work together to build a team of success. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks. How to get it just right. With host Dr. Cass Henry. In today's program, we'll uncover the tools of team success in order to achieve winning results. Now, here is Dr. Cass Henry. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. I'm Dr. Cass Henry and look forward to spending another exciting hour with you. To me, as you have been hearing this whole season, Goldilocks symbolizes balance. Not being extreme on either end of an issue spectrum, finding the centeredness, and leading from that centeredness towards reaching goals is the message embodied in the story of Goldilocks. I have continued to use this as a theme because it is our pathway to empowerment and it is important for us to approach empowerment of our personal life as well as our economic life so that we engage as householders, family members, uh, employees in an organization, as well as community partners in the society we live just taking a page from Goldilocks so that we don't approach anything in a hot-headed way or too cold of a manner. We don't want things approached in a hard, too hard or a too soft manner. How do we approach things just right? How do we understand the pros and cons of different circumstances so that we make our choices so that it's gonna work for us, work for our loved ones? And when we do things just right, wonderful things start happening. And when great things start happening, our lives, just like the caterpillar blossoming and evolving into a butterfly, our life takes flight. So as we continue with a new episode, today we are dedicating the episode to talk about fiscal responsibilities equal to civic duty, and let's get engaged in our democracy. To have this very, very important conversation with me, I have wonderful guests from the Association of Government Accountants. I have Ann Ebert and Doug Glenn. Ann is the CEO of the AGA, and Doug Glenn is the immediate past president of the AGA. And their collective experience in financial and data analytics is going to help us explore the importance of civic engagement in governmental fixed fiscal accountability. And why are we positioning our final episode for the summer season on fiscal accountability equals civic duty? Let's engage in our democracy. If you take a look back, we started our summer season with Uh, self-interest. We looked at how self-interest is about us being a worker, a consumer, investor, and a citizen of the society all at the same time. I, as an individual, am not an uncomplicated, uh, monolithic, engaging person in a society. I actually engage in a multidimensional way in each of my roles. So if we started the show there and we are all pursuing our personal and economic empowerment, 
we need to understand how we engage in the society we live in. And our society is one of rules and laws. And so government becomes the underpinning for public policy that shapes our lives. And so keeping that in mind and building on the theme we have going on this whole season, I stop there for a moment and welcome Anne and Doug to the show. Hey, we're happy to be here with you. Wonderful to have you for both here. I would actually like to kick off a conversation with the uh, idea of how important financial information is in a capitalist democracy. I am of the opinion, and I have heard other people talk about how it is truly the currency in a capitalist democracy. And if that is the currency, how can you help the audience understand where to go for information, how to get those information, and how they engage in a participatory democracy so that, you know, life is not like watching a Super Bowl game with a popcorn bowl and yelling at the TV with a beer on the side, right? We have to engage. And what is the kind of information and engagement people can pursue and how AGA helps people get there, whether they are members of the AGA as an organization or they're just members of society at large and want to learn? No, if you want, um, I can start off. So this is Anne, and mm-hmm. um, as a CEO of AGA, uh, I'll give you a little bit of background about what AGA is, and then mm-hmm. we, can, we can talk about what we do to support the premise of sharing information and making it available and how important that is to all citizens. So AGA Beautiful. has been um, was founded in 1950, so we're a well-established, I won't say an old organization, uh-huh. um, but we have about 15,000 members across the country, um, mm-hmm. and they're all from all levels of government, so federal, uh, professional, state, local, tribal, higher education, nonprofits, and the private sector. So we, we really touch and we include everybody who kind of touches a public dollar. So when you think about folks that are in budgeting, accounting, auditing, you know, financial management, financial systems, we think about grants management. So there's so many walks of life in public service that, that are, um, have a, a role to play with AGA. And mm-hmm. our members not only um, come to us or you know, come to the association to share information with each other, learn from each other, but to develop new techniques and approaches. And, you know, we, we work with uh, government leaders to hear about the initiatives they're trying to push out, and we also help to kind of amplify that through our many mechanisms, whether it's events or webinars. Uh, we kind of amplify some of those messages you know, for the government leaders so people can understand what's going on and what's important. That is great. That is great information. And if I may, Kaz, uh, first let me just say mm-hmm. thanks for having us on your uh, show. Uh, we're thrilled to be here and, and talk about some of the great things that our, our industry is, is, is doing. Mm-hmm. You talked about uh, fiscal accountability and, and transparency and how that relates to democracy. And uh, the Deputy Controller of the United States uh, labeled it a fundamental building block of, of democracy. And it makes mm-hmm. sense if you think about it for a second. How good is a democracy if it can't be accountable for where for the funding and the, the resources it has and what it's doing with those resources? Definitely. And it's the accountability profession. 
mm-hmm. the accountants, the budgeteers, the auditors, the IT folks, all of them that, uh, that, that capture, record, and process, and report where the uh, funding and resources are coming from and, and, and where it's going. Mm-hmm. When I went to school uh, once upon a time, decades ago, uh, the job of the accountant was to provide timely, useful information. And as federal agencies and state and local governments mm-hmm. uh, sit on larger and larger databases of, of activity of what they're doing, not just financial activity, but also programmatic activity, uh, we're, we are more and more challenged on how to report that in ways that the public will, will find useful. Uh, it's actually a very exciting time in the industry because we're now uh, we're now uh, becoming familiar with new visualization tools that put pictures on numbers. And instead of communicating large sets of data with spreadsheets or, or PowerPoints, there are tools now that uh, that put pictures on the numbers and allow large uh, sets of data to be comprehended in, in ever increasing times. Also, those mm-hmm. tools allow for. Um, uh, sorting and, and drilling and, and searching the data set, those data sets that we have uh, to find answers to the questions that uh, that, that people, mm-hmm. individuals may have. So, so, so as, if, if, go ahead. If you, if you think about what technology, because you've leveraged technology to be able to be that transparent and gain information from the data, if you think 30 years ago, if somebody wanted to see um, the, a financial report of the federal government, you'd have to go to the government printing office oh, yeah. and get, yes. you know, wait in line and get some mm-hmm. big old stack of paper or huge thick books from the basement of some building and then try to, you know, flip through it. And today, you know, you think of every government entity as a website. So yes. it's, it's mm-hmm. all made available. It's just people have to go mm-hmm. and know to look for it. That is true. And have the interest yes. in looking so- so self-service technically has made it, instead of you going hunting for it, it's served up. So people need to know how to engage in that self-service environment. And Doug, the point you made was fascinating because technically where we've gone from is providing data to people in a transparent way to leveraging technology and converting that data through analytics to meaningful information and insights so that in a web-enabled mechanism in real time, people can go and use that information and apply it to make the right choices and engage more effectively. And that is a Uh, fascinating journey we've taken in just 20, 30 years. Absolutely. We very much want to provide information because the more information we can provide, the, the more value we're providing and mm-hmm. the more worthy we are of the taxpayer dollars that uh, we're, we're consuming. Uh, our biggest challenge right now is we, we don't have a singular voice uh, to hear what the public wants. I mean, we're, we're doing our, our, uh, making our best guesses and assuming that uh, we can, we're communicating what uh, they want, but we, we don't have a good feedback mechanism. Well, I think okay. that we have, the government has so many different consumers. Yeah. I mean, you have true. agencies yes. want to see other agencies' data. You have the state and local organizations that want to see federal data. Universities might want to use it for research. Um, sunlight organizations want to, you know, identify what they think is really going on in government by looking at data. And then the general citizen, you know, has an interest as well but certainly varied levels of interest. Yes. 
Yes, and that makes it complicated, but it is akin to the same thing corporations, private sector deals with, right? You have multiple stakeholders, different stakeholders looking for information for different purpose. But if information can be, insights can be made available, then people can look at it through the lens they want to look at. And that makes the private-public partnership that much more critical and technology becoming the conduit to make it happen. So can you just take a moment and help our audience understand how AGA brings that public-private engagement together? And I'm going to pose the question before the break, and we're going to go into the break. So Anne and Doug, you can think about the answer as we come back from the break. But what I want you to give thought on is we live at a time where everybody is caught up in extreme false dichotomies. It's either government or private sector. It's black or white. Nobody is playing in the middle in the gray area. But in reality, the public and the private sector are two parts of the same economic whole. One doesn't function without the other. Government pensions invest in private corporations as the institutional investors. Corporations serve as service providers and strategic partners to the government sector. So there's give and take, not just there, in so many other levels. As we come back from break, I want you both to share your thoughts on how AGA and AGA's mission is going to help continue to bridge that gap so that we get to a place where we can lead from the middle for our society at large. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you are looking for an outstanding keynote speaker, look no further than Dr. Cass Henry. Cass is available to speak to your company. She also offers organizational leadership development seminars and workshops. These seminars can integrate learning and development, customer service, processes, and financial growth. Positive, motivated employees care about their customers and work products. Visit CassHenry.com or follow Dr. Cass Henry on Facebook. That's KASHenry.com for more information. Organizational training does not have to be a difficult job. Visit Dr. Cass Henry's site to find out more about her organizational training curriculum development and global organizational training webinars. These informative webinars cover leadership development, career path and succession planning, financial performance improvement and change management, and corporate finance. For more information, Please visit CassHenry.com and follow Cass Henry on Facebook. That's K-A-S-Henry.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks. How to get it just right. To reach Dr. Cass Henry or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
346-9141. You may also send an email to Dr. Cass Henry at hotmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. We are joining my guests from the AGA, Anne and Doug. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So I know we posed the question as we went into break. So what I'm going to do is step back and let you share your thoughts so that we can continue this conversation. Well, it's certainly a very, very timely question because the truth is public and private partnerships are, are growing. As evidence, I would uh, note that there's a new standard on capturing and reporting and disclosing public-private uh, partnerships. Uh, budgets are, are going down in the in the federal sector, uh, and, and as a fiscal uh, representative, that's, I'd, I'd say that's definitely necessary because for decades we've been spending more than uh, we're taking in. But as funding goes down, uh, programs certainly would have to decrease, and, and the serv- goods and services that the governments provide would would decrease as well. But some of the private sector organizations have an interest in those programs and want to keep them going in. in, in certain manners, and we, we are finding that uh, uh, private sector corporations are stepping in, or entities are stepping in in, in places, um, both to main, keep the programs going, but also to share the benefits of those programs, as well as the risks. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge, though, is identifying where uh, the government is, is exerting significant influence on these organizations, and where there's significant risk to the government and uh, the taxpayer resources that it, it consumes. Uh, one of the, uh, another example where, where we see it a lot is, is in donations. We have the uh, National Park Service, and which includes uh, a lot of uh, monuments. For, for example, the Washington Monument. As we know, a few years ago, it was uh, struck, or it was a victim of an earthquake, and uh, there was a rather large institutional investor who shared some of his uh, personal funding to help rebuild and, and repair the Washington Monument. And so it's, uh, it's an interesting time as we try to navigate how, how that's done and how it's, if, when, and where it's appropriate to you know, accept uh, donations and, and when and where to partner up with uh, other entities and, and various endeavors. You know, Doug, uh, another example I think that a lot of people would and can relate to for public-private partnerships are toll roads. Yep. You know, when you think of localities that don't have the funding to build a road, whether you know, it's over congestion or whatever, you have the public-private partnership and they build a toll road and they collect fees and sometimes they revert back to the government or, you know, so it's, that's a, a, I think a, a way to, to easily understand, you know, kind of how that partnership could work. The other way, and maybe it's a little bit different take on a public-private partnership, but certainly uh-huh. pub- private sector support to government. And in many cases, you know, let's think of software, as we were talking earlier in technology. Uh-huh. In many cases, the private sector is on the leading edge of implementing those technologies. And what happens is they will consult in many cases with, either management consulting firms or just selling on their own, those commercial off-the-shelf software products to the government to say these are tested, they're commercial um, processes embedded, you know, so there's efficiencies, checks and balances, uh, edit checks, et cetera, and how can Mm -hmm. they be implemented in the government. And 
the government's doing more and more of that, you know, trying to streamline and automate manual processes in many cases the way the public or private sector has done, you know, many years prior. So sometimes the government is a little slower to adopt some of those, but okay, Uh so let the private sector test it out, break it, kick the tires, make it better, and, you know, then the government can adopt. Yeah, and public and private partnership is not as radical a concept as it might uh, seem. And both both entities are united by the desire of providing value. If if the private sector can offer value, they they can bill for it, and rightfully so. Uh, If the government can provide value, then taxpayers feel better about the uh, taxes they Mm -hmm. they pay. So it's a win-win situation. Yes, and a lot of... And a lot of times, the thing that gets forgotten in the shuffle is a, the innovation tends to happen largely in the military and the air and space sectors. For example, things like uh, geotargeting and geopositioning, it's a military technology. Even the telephone, they're all military technology that the military perfected and then businesses commercialized it and figured out a way to bring it to the market where the average consumer can take that technology and use it in different ways, whether it's automobiles, washing machines. Everything came as a result of the military technology coming out of the war, different wars. So I'm always already writing down a list of examples. <laughs> <laughs> We were just laughing. I wrote on a piece of paper, and some people listening may not remember, but Tang and Velcro came out of NASA. So Nylon came out of DOD for parachutes in World War II. Yeah, it's kind of uh, funny. You're right. There are um, research of the government is strong. Yes. Yes, so government does innovate, but they don't (laughs) have the monetary resources to commercialize it to take to the consumer because that is the not the role of the government. So government passes it on to the private sector. So it's a give and take repeatedly so that over time, every innovation is perfected for the consumer. And to me, that is a fascinating uh, journey that every innovation takes. And I always like to make sure we talk about it so that we don't forget that government does innovate. Government is not this antiquated, you know, thing that belongs in an antique show or a Smithsonian, but it is driving a lot of momentum that the private sector is also benefiting from. So building on that, building on that thought, we also live in an age where people hate the word regulation. It's one of those bad words. But I always ask people, will you buy a car without a braking mechanism, right? The only reason you're using the brake more than you're using the accelerator is either you're driving in a city like Chicago or New York where you can't go very far without braking all the time or you're exceeding the speed limit and you see a cop coming. So to me, regulation is a braking mechanism to make sure that the society doesn't go to a negative ramification. At the same time, regulations are never put in place until ethical lapses happen and people forget that we need to be principled. When ethical lapses happen like Enron, we had Sarbanes-Oxley law. When the subprime crisis happened, we had the Dodd-Frank law. So if you trace back the purpose for every law is somebody in power misused their access or their ethical, moral responsibility, and they overstepped it. And as a country of rules and laws, the only way we know how to deal with it is put new laws in place. 
So how how can people understand and deal with regulation? And then what are the benefits to the citizens in having regulations and being able to have those regulations monitored? Because even regulatory agencies are audited, right? So can, can you throw some insight into that? Well, I guess I, I would ask, do you really want an unregulated government without rules and regulations? Uh, checks and balances? Yeah, yeah. without yes. checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely right, Kaz. I mean, unethical things have happened and rules and regulations have, have resulted. And uh, there are so many rules and regulations in the, in the federal government and also on the state and local side. It, it is often hard to get things done. It, it certainly is stifling. Um, however... I guarantee you that behind every rule and regulation that I have to follow, there's a good reason behind it. Yes, yes. The, mm-hmm. the challenge is uh, when we how to where to balance the benefits and burden, burdens of those of those regulations. I mean, um, do we really need uh, extra steps in, in approval processes for every single transaction just to prevent mm-hmm. the one in a thousand chance that somebody's going to pay somebody the, the wrong amount? Uh, you got to find that that balance. Often these things are like pendulums; they swing back and, and back and forth. Uh, so, for example, in the federal government, well, in any government entity, it's extremely hard to fire uh, an employee because they are very well protected. And I have no doubt, probably back in the 20s or 30s, uh, before unions, that uh, you know, there were probably management abuses. Um, mm-hmm. But now, and as a result, the uh, employee protection rules have, have, are very strong now. And maybe we want that, maybe we don't. But that's that's one of the cases where I've seen the pendulum swing. And it, based on some of the recent proposed legislation that's out there, it may be swinging back. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, the key is balancing that. You know, where do you where do you set those thresholds, and where do you apply those rules so that they really are preventing. Uh, bad behavior and not overburdening the system. Well, Mm -hmm. there's the other side of regulations, too, is sometimes regulations are there for safety, you know, seat belts Mm -hmm. being one. Motorcycle helmets for states that require motorcycle helmets are helping to protect people that maybe weren't smart enough to have done it on their own without, you know, or wise enough to have done it on their own without this Mm -hmm. regulation and, and the thought of getting a ticket if you didn't do it. Other regulations, and I think of, um, in your position, Doug, the CFO Act, you know, how many, 27, 27 years ago, yeah, you know, the CFO Act was passed, which established the CFO position and also said, hey, by the way, you're also going to do these financial reports so people know how you're spending your money and you're going to make them available, right? Mm-hmm. And then, the, then we continue to have acts and laws that, ask for more information to be made available. And now you might have made it available anyway, but unless there's a law, everybody won't make it available. So whether That's it's true. Improper mm-hmm. Payments Act, Government Performance and Results Act, Data Act, you know, everybody making stuff available. Now, the mm-hmm. challenge is, you know, to put out a financial report, how many documents do you have to look at to make sure you're being in compliance? Yes. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the tough parts. And, that, you know, to me, that's where you start saying, well, how, you know, how much is too much and how much how is much enough. Is, mm-hmm. but some so of what are, I'm hearing is the common sense approach and the balanced approach is necessary 
And then if we truly become a community of self-governance, little by little, we can ease up on it too. But then we have to make sure we don't ease up too much like the easing up that resulted in the subprime crisis, right? So once again, balance. I feel like I have to pay everybody a buck for using the word balance because that's the theme of the show and we keep using that word. But it is true. We come back to that balance. That's part of the reason I'm I'm such a fan of transparency and trying to get information out there so the public can weigh in on where they think balances should be. Mm -hmm. And that is such a great point because in a democracy, we want the public to engage and make it a contact sport, a participatory sport. And with that thought, we are going to go for our second break and we will regroup when we come back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Organizational training does not have to be a difficult job. Visit Dr. Cass Henry's site to find out more about her organizational training curriculum development and global organizational training webinars. These informative webinars cover leadership development, career path and succession planning, financial performance improvement and change management, and corporate finance. For more information, please visit CassHenry.com and follow Cass Henry on Facebook. That's K-A-S-Henry.com. If you are looking for an outstanding keynote speaker, look no further than Dr. Cass Henry. Cass is available to speak to your company. She also offers organizational leadership development seminars and workshops. These seminars can integrate learning and development, customer service, processes, and financial growth. Positive, motivated employees care about their customers and work products. Visit CassHenry.com or follow Dr. Cass Henry on Facebook. That's K-A-S-Henry.com for more information. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. To reach Dr. Cass Henry or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Henry at hotmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. You're joining my guests, Anne and Doug, representing the AGA. Welcome back to the show, Anne and Doug. Thank you. As we continue this conversation, I also want to take a step back and look at where you have come from in your career evolution and what you have brought to your current roles and how that has helped you shape your role, your career path, your future, as well as groom other people. I know both of you came from the private sector and your journeys have been different and you've landed in different places. So why don't each of you take a moment and take us through your journey very briefly? Wow. So um, my journey doesn't include many stops, actually. <laughs> I, was, I am the opposite of a job hopper. 
So okay. I started out in um, the private sector, but always working in support of the federal government. So I used to come home and tell my kids that I learned something new every day about what the government did, and it was such an incredible civics course, just being a, a consultant for the federal government. So I focused all of my career around financial management, um, financial management systems implementation, program evaluation, uh, really across the chief financial officer community, the CFO community, as well as in major program offices. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a, a lot of fun doing that, led teams, built teams, and what we tried to do was, and I thought one of the value add for working with the federal government is because I worked across the CFO community, the chief financial officer community, uh-huh. is they're all, they were all in different stages of solving similar problems. Yes. And uh-huh. I always thought that I could take what worked in one environment and then look at the next environment and say, what are the elements that are different or similar and how might I have to adjust this to help something work in that organization? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the coolest things that we were able to do is um, financial systems implementation. About 10 years ago, I pulled together seven of my clients that were all in a different stage of progression through replacing okay. legacy systems. So some were in mm-hmm. the acquisition side, some were doing process reengineering, some were doing implementation, some were doing data cleanup, and I got them together to share, you know, hey, what works and what doesn't work and how did you mm-hmm. solve that problem? And it, it was, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It was really cool to pull them together because otherwise they might not have been in the same room to talk and solve problems together. That's so true. From a, so from a consulting perspective, I always felt really good about what we were able to accomplish. And, you know, grooming the next, program manager or somebody coming up behind you is just something that was was required. Um, When I left um, the private sector after uh, 30-plus years um, as a consultant, um, coming to AGA was kind of a dream job because I still feel like I'm consulting because Uh people still have issues, challenges, you know, and we're trying to provide information to those that need it. Uh, those are our members. Those are the general public. Um, still working with now it's all levels of government. So again, I'm still learning more about similarities and differences between the levels of government. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a blast um, working with professionals that want to do a great job. Sometimes they're hamstrung by not having enough resources. So you know, as 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 much as AGA can help, we do. Uh, there are, mm-hmm. you know, 88,000 government entities in this country, all of which spend money and collect, well, collect money first, hopefully. Collect <laughs> money and then, and then, yeah, they're not spending money, but they're collecting. So they collect money, then spend money. So that means the financial professionals that can be AJ members are everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's. So my, my career's been, again, usually around the same kind of community, um, but okay. it's, it's been great being able to help, um, again, build, share information, learn about challenges, apply new technologies, uh, implementation efforts, and, you know, help them solve problems. So, well, that's fascinating. Uh, yes, Doug, go ahead. 
As for myself, I've got uh, 24 years uh, in and around the um, federal financial industry. Uh, the first eight were at uh, uh, accounting firms, uh, small and large, uh, doing audits mm-hmm. and consulting. And the last 16 years have, have, have been as a, a Fed. And the reason I, I made the switch, uh, quite simply, is I just uh, I, I love the, the nobility of civil service. I love the mm-hmm. fact that we are serving taxpayers. Um, I, I really feel like this industry is an un, is, has a bunch of unsung heroes because there's, even though it's technically illegal, there are a lot of civil servants who work nights and weekends who don't bill their time just to get out to meet the uh, requirements uh, of, of their daily mm-hmm. uh, jobs. Um, yeah, and, and as I've been in the industry, I've, I've also very much fallen in love with the fact that we're one of the rare uh, programs that actually save more money than we cost. If you look at the cost of the federal financial industry, the last time I saw it was in 2010. It was $49 billion. There's a, that's a lot of money. There's a lot you can do with $49 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you consider the fact that it was accounting for a $4.5 trillion budget that year or about 1%, I marvel at the, what the fraud, waste, and abuse would be if you didn't have accountants and auditors and IT folks and budget folks uh, just tracking all the money we get from Congress and, and taxpayers mm-hmm. and where it's going and uh, making sure it's captured, recorded, reported uh, accurately. Definitely. And I, I like the fact, I actually love the fact that you touched on the unsung heroes. Ultimately, service is what leadership is. I come from a society where duty to man is duty to God. That is the foundational pillar of my very faith as a Hindu. And so to me, serving the government, serving the public is part of what we are supposed to do because that's what leadership is. And so how can people explore, especially at a time where everybody's looking for jobs, there are jobs available in the governmental accounting, finance, technology space, but nobody goes to school with the notion that that's where they want to land. People meander and get there, but nobody goes into school and major in accounting or finance or technology saying, I'm going to go into the government sector. What are some of the places folks can go and get some of that resources so they can plan better and know where the opportunities are? Well, the simplest and easiest, at least for the, on the federal side, is USA Jobs. I, don't remember, I can't remember if it's .gov or .org or .com. But uh, USA Jobs, all all federal positions are posted there, and, and uh, anybody can apply. So they can you know, set up their resume and go and look for the jobs based on the criteria they selected, right? Just like any other database. Yeah, you can create something called a, a search agent. So if you type mm-hmm. in the kind of job you're looking for, it will automatically notify you when a job meeting your criteria is posted. Plus, okay. you can pre-post um, your resume. So all you have to do is uh, basically attach it to a job posting, and you, it's quite easy to apply once you get it uh, developed and posted. Beautiful. Well, and, and, Beautiful. And, if you, and if you think about um, the number of people that put off retirement because of the, the financial, you know, the, the recession of 2007, mm-hmm. 8, 9, there are a lot of folks that put off retirement, so the, or the, I think it's, what, 30%, Doug, number of people eligible to retire in the federal government right now? It's like yes. 30% of government employees. Yep. Which, and then, you know, I talk to people at the state and local level, too, when I go out and visit and speak at our chapters, 
And it's about the same average there, too. So yes. it's similar. Mm-hmm. So they're hiring. People are hiring at all levels of government. But you mentioned earlier, Kaz, people, aren't, people in school might not be interested or not know about government. Yeah, they may not be aware is my fear. Right. And, and when we've talked to students uh, in accounting programs, and I do ask them with a show of hands who's going to seek out a government job, there will be maybe 5 6% that will raise mm-hmm. their hand. And then I'll ask the next question of how many, par- how many of you have parents that have worked in public service? And it's those same 5 or 6% that <laughs> raised their hand the first time. So yeah. you know, they know about it because their parents worked with it. Uh-huh. So EGA is actually um, has a, an initiative, a higher education initiative that we started a couple of years ago, but have made it a formal committee and are really, you know, focusing on it, and we've put more more power and brains to it this year about um, coordinating with schools, getting mm-hmm. them to understand the demand for um, people coming out of school with, with an understanding of governmental accounting. And that's, you know, you mentioned public-private partnerships before. We're going to be mm-hmm. working with our corporate partners because they also are hiring from these schools. So they are, you know, if, if the schools see a demand, a hiring mm-hmm. demand that requires those skill sets, then they're more likely to, to invest and, you know, change their curriculum and provide that. And AGA, we have our Certified Government Financial Manager Program, which we've talked to several colleges and universities about, you know, how do you prepare some of the, the students that you have that are ready to, to graduate and get jobs, and how do we help them differentiate themselves? Mm-hmm. And our certification, which requires, you know, learning and competence, competency, um, uh, you know, transparency through testing, um, mm-hmm. they have to uh, understand federal, state, and local government accounting. So they can understand, to me, the, like the chain of custody from the feds all the way down to state local communities. Mm-hmm. So that they can they can be prepared at any level of government for yes, for and that that is such an important aspect of succession planning for the government. What I felt worked when I was the CFO for the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund, one of the things I did is I brought in a handful of high school interns so that they understand that accounting and finance and technology plays a massive role in governmental accountability. And it also gave them an opportunity to find their passion within that array of roles to then go on to college. And we continued to have them as interns while they were in college. And we only recruited as they graduated. And as our people retired, we had an already automatically built in recruitment plan. And we found that it worked well. It helped kids get off the streets and get engaged in a job. They got less financial aid because they were supplementing. And we paid decent hourly wages. And we gave them real meaty projects so that they tr- we truly tested to make sure that this is a fit for them and for us. And I definitely see those internships working across the board in the government sector. I love the idea of... of um exposing them to, uh, to government and, and to, to the, the accounting field. What we've got uh, on several of our events that we have is a scholarship program for students. Our national leadership training event, um, we have, you know, we, we have 
students that apply to come in as a scholarship, they have to write, you know, an essay. Why do they think financial management and government is important, et cetera? And we score that, and we we seek out students that have a, you know, pretty high GPA, 3.5 and above. And we've had mm-hmm. students that have come to our events, and they get all excited and say, I, I met the CFO of the FBI, and that's, how <laughs> cool is that? I know. And they get to- and they get to hear these speakers on stage talk about their challenges, achievements, innovations, you know, how they're going to, you know, take things to the next step. And, mm-hmm. and it's exciting stuff. I mean, Doug's been on stage being one of those presenters, and, and he gets people excited about what he's talking about. Yes, and the only way to get through to the young generation is to make it tangible for them. And that is such a wonderful service AGA is providing. We are going to take our fourth and the third and final break, and we come back to our final segment. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. If you are looking for an outstanding keynote speaker, look no further than Dr. Cass Henry. Cass is available to speak to your company. She also offers organizational leadership development seminars and workshops. These seminars can integrate learning and development, customer service, processes, and financial growth. Positive, motivated employees care about their customers and work products. Visit CassHenry.com. Or follow Dr. Cass Henry on Facebook. That's KASHenry.com for more information. Organizational training does not have to be a difficult job. Visit Dr. Cass Henry's site to find out more about her organizational training curriculum development and global organizational training webinars. These informative webinars cover leadership development, career path and succession planning, financial performance improvement and change management, and corporate finance. For more information, please visit CassHenry.com and follow Cass Henry on Facebook. That's K-A-S-Henry.com. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You're listening to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks. How to get it just right. To reach Dr. Cass Henry or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 9141. You may also send an email to Dr. Cass Henry at hotmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Unleash in a Goldilocks How to Get It Just Right. We are joining our guests, Anne and Doug, at on the episode named Financial Accountability is Civic Duty. Let's engage in our democracy. 
I know, Doug, for you, transparency and disclosure is such an important part of what you care about and what you are trying to drive. I would really like for you to take a moment and explain to the audience the citizen-centric report and how they can access it and engage with it. Okay, be happy to. So uh, the citizen's report is basically a subset of our uh, agency or, or annual financial report. Now, because of all the disclosure requirements and regulations that we were talking about earlier, uh, the AFR that my agency puts out is about 200 pages. Now, I don't know how exciting a 200-page federal financial (laughs) report sounds, but I have to admit in the 24 years in this industry, nobody has ever asked me for a copy of the AFR that I worked on. Um, <laughs> not on the yeah. bestseller list. Either. No, it, sadly, it's not. But like I mentioned, also like I mentioned earlier, we very much want to provide information. We want taxpayers to be informed. We want them to know that there really are people looking out for their taxpayer dollars, trying to make sure they're captured, recorded, and reported accurately. So the citizen-centric report is an initiative, basically, to issue condensed annual reports that show, at a high level, the summary information to get people started. And, and at least acquainted with the uh, information that, that, that's out there and, and available in the larger uh, agency financial report. Um, to basically find one, it's very easy. Just go to any agency, uh, any agency's name.gov and search uh, uh, citizen-centric report, and they should be able to find it within a click or two. If not, um, you should be able to go to, you can search agency financial report, and it, it usually would appear with that, or at least be referenced mm-hmm. in the uh, um, agency financial report with a link that they can click on. So AGA, um, CAS AGA, mm-hmm. I guess it was 10 years ago, um, came up with the citizen-centric report. We actually have trademarked the name, CCR, and it's a four-pager. And actually, if somebody does one, that's six pages long, and we, we still, that's okay. But in four pages, mm-hmm. you know, the front, and it's very, it's kind of prescriptive as far as the type of data, but not how the data is um, presented. Uh, presented. It's, it's mostly, you know, like agency, the mission, strategy, um, goals, you know, uh, demographics. The next page would mm-hmm. be revenues and expenses. The third page would be what was accomplished during the year. So, you know, what, what was done for all that money that was spent. And then the last page would be either challenges or kind of looking forward what comes next. And as we all have been hearing about Houston in the news yes. um, mm-hmm. underwater, uh, I will tell you that Houston, the fourth largest city, submitted a CCR last summer uh, for review. And AGA reviews these at no cost to see if, um, you know, to make uh, make recommendations on how they can improve it because this truly in four pages is the way you communicate in plain English. Um, you don't have to be an accountant to read it. Um, yes. uh-huh. Plain English, what an, what an organization or what an entity does. So, yes, um, Houston developed one for the, I guess, their, their fiscal year ending 2016. So that was June uh, last year. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting if they submit one this coming, you know, in this fall for review because I would, I would assume, well, I guess it, it, the flood hadn't happened yet, so I guess it'll be the 2018 version of it. Um, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be interesting what they report and how you know, they look at their economy and what their challenges are as a city. 
And, and if I may, I would encourage all of your listeners to go to treasury.gov and search for the Citizen's Guide to the Financial Report of the United States. Oh, yeah. That's basically the Treasury, uh, or the government-wide financial, the Citizen's Guide for the financial, for the, uh, uh, the entire uh, country. Yeah, yeah. The, the entire country. Uh, talks about, at a, at a national level, the fiscal picture and outlook that, uh, of, our con- of our country. Yeah, when you mentioned earlier getting students engaged, we have uh-huh. a, uh, a college case challenge on the CCR, and we are getting uh, schools registering as we speak. They put together teams of four students. Uh, we, okay. we've, already, we've already selected the city. We don't let them know who that is until, you know, we give them basic, we'll let all of the schools know at the same time or the teams know at the same time. They have about 10 days to pull together a citizen-centric, four-page citizen-centric report. Uh, we score it. We have a team of reviewers. Um, we have them put together a, a short presentation on it or, and or video. Uh, the winners, I guess, the, or the three finalists put together a video, and it becomes mm-hmm. quite the competition between schools, and it's fascinating. You get great ideas on how students oh, are yes. looking uh-huh. at data. Because they do think outside the box. They do, and so it's, it's, I'm really looking forward to this year's, and I, I know the city, so I'm excited to, to see what they'll come up with for the, the target city. But on, on AGA's website, it's www.agacgfm.org slash CCR, and we have a collection of CCRs from all levels of government. Not, it's not a mandatory thing. It's a voluntary, voluntary uh, submission, but again, we review them, so we're kind of giving them free consulting on how to make it better. Um, I, we identify the areas that are really strong in POP and others that, that may need a little bit of improvement. But we see, you know, agencies and entities um, send us UCRs every year, and they continue to get better, and mm-hmm. they're innovative. You can tell when somebody new is taking the horn, you know, and the helm of it, and, and it looks very yes. different. And that is wonderful way for students to do a case study or a course project. So what I would actually like is I thank you for sharing the AGA website with us, Anne. And feel free to email me the AGA uh, uh, CCR uh, competition that the students get engaged in. What I will do is I will be happy to put it as part of my show communication uh, for the announcement so that the audience can take and share it with their network and get schools that are normally not engaged, engaged as well. This is such a valuable, valuable piece of component. I think we need to get all hands on deck if we're going to make this work for us. Okay, I took an action, Kaz. It's on. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And I cannot believe how quickly the hour has gone. It has been such a valuable conversation. I hope you have enjoyed this as much as I have. And I know my audience are going to get tremendous amount of value out of this. Very, very much so. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. We've enjoyed it. Appreciate your time. Thank you. The new fall season kicks off September 11th. As our summer season comes to an end, I want to make sure audience realize that we are moving. Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right, is moving from Thursdays to Mondays. And we will be airing at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment Channel starting September 11th, 2017. I am truly happy that you, as my audience, have spent 
this whole season, an hour at least with me. You've downloaded the shows, you've engaged, and it has been a tremendously joyous summer talking to you and having you engage in the shows, calling in. I really would like to invite you to send in your points of views or your questions to Dr. Cass Henry at hotmail.com. That is D R K A S H E N R Y at hotmail.com. And I will air your thoughts and questions in subsequent shows. This show is all about helping our shared empowerment journey. And for that journey to be successful, your valuable voice needs to be heard. And as you go through your days and the weekend ahead, remember, Every human interaction is an opportunity for our transformation. So let's go out there and let's transform lives. And while we're at it, let's not forget to start with our own. Thank you for tuning in to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, how to get it just right. Please join Dr. Cass Henry again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another edition of the program. We'll see you then.